different responses to them. For example, the recent Avengers Marvel movie Endgame was a huge hit. I personally liked it. But interestingly, my sons, who are big MCU fans, said Infinity Wars was better. And I'm like, wow. Or, or how about the latest song? Or maybe the latest artist? Whether it be a Post Malone, Justin Bieber, Justin Timberlake, BTS, or Beatles, you may have different responses to these different groups. The same exact song may have a different response. If I can get a little more personal here, perhaps two people can hear the exact same sermon. And some would say, wow, that was a great sermon. It really spoke to me. And others would say, that was a sleeper. Why is this? And how is this possible? Well, today we are continuing on in our series in the Gospel of Mark. And today we're going to see exactly that very phenomenon. How the very same thing can elicit different responses. Today we are in Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. And in this section, Jesus will explain a very familiar parable that I'm sure most of you have heard. And so I've entitled this morning's message, To Reveal and to Conceal. Would you bow with me as we begin and ask the Lord to guide our time together. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us together one more time, allowing us to share this time together. We are excited for many new things that will be happening. With the freshmen coming into our ministry, we're excited for them, and we want to welcome them warmly. Also for our Thai 19 mission team as they're returning, Lord, we are looking forward for their time. We pray for a smooth reentry between jet lag as well as just being back home. Watch over them as well. And for our time now in our service, Lord, help me as I teach that I'd be careful and clear. And we want to commit our time to you now. And we want to thank you in advance for what you will teach us this morning. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'm going to read our passage this morning. It's Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. Rather long section, but I think you'll realize that you already know this story for the most part. Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Again he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. So that they may indeed see but not perceive, 
and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And then these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. In this section, Jesus is continuing to do his teaching ministry. He is teaching by the sea, but we see in verse 1 that the crowds are not only gathering but they are also increasing. As a result, in order to accommodate the crowds, Jesus gets into a boat, goes out into the sea, and he sits down. He takes the normal posture of a rabbi, and he begins to teach them. But rather than teach them in his normal way, he now begins teaching them in what's called parables. What is a parable? A parable is a fictitious story that has an actual true point to it. However, parables are encrypted. They are not clear. And not everyone will get it. Surprisingly, that was the intention of a parable. Let me ask you a question, and maybe no names here, but have you ever had a professor in college who for some reason you could not understand what they were saying? It could be an accent, or it could be that they're just all over the place and maybe they're not organized. I pray that their rating on rate my professor is somewhat merciful. But perhaps you had that, and you go, why is this person teaching? Well, let me say this at the offset. Jesus was the best teacher that ever lived. His lessons were not only powerful, but they were also pointed. But here he's now speaking in the means of a parable, which was meant to be unclear meant to be uh, encrypted, meant to be under the radar. Why would he do this? Well, I'll let the tension build. We'll answer that question a little bit later. But let's go ahead now and look at our outline for today. Two main points, and the first point has four subpoints to it. The first point is responses of the heart. And that's pretty much the whole focus of this particular section. There are different responses to the gospel. And the responses are as following. First, there's a hard heart that's not receptive. Then there's a shallow heart that seems receptive but is really not. Then there's the worried heart that, again, is temporary. And finally, the fruitful heart. And then we're going to see a reaction to the responses. That's the final thing. Now, forgive me, I just mentioned and maybe was a little bit critical of unclear teachers so I, I have to apologize in advance. This may be unclear to some of you because we're going to jump back and forth between this paragraph with the different sections. So look at the first point, the hard heart. 
And I've listed both verse 4 and verse 15 because in verse 4, Jesus introduces this concept of the hard heart. And then later on in verse 15, which is later in the paragraph, he actually explains it and comments on it. So let's take a look at this now, starting in verse 4. Here's what it says. It says, As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. So this is a parable, a story, of four responses of the heart to the gospel. So the gospel is the same message no matter to whom it goes to. But what we're going to see here are four different responses, and ultimately we're going to bring this home to us in the 21st century and ask, what is your response? But notice as you see the first heart, the hard heart, and then look at how he comments now in verse 15. This is what he says. And says, And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Wow. So there are some people whose first response to hearing the gospel is they don't want to hear it. They have a hardened heart. And what Jesus identifies here may be that the person who intercepts that and is prevented to that is Satan. Because Satan only has bad news. He doesn't want us as believers to hear and to respond to any good news. And so as a result of that, the gospel is thwarted. Here's the point that we see for the first part, the hard heart. It's this. A hardened heart that did not accept the gospel which was also affected by an outside force. The outside force could be demonic, being Satan, but it also could be another thing, too. And I've met a lot of people who, for example, are just skeptical. Let me give you another example. Maybe some of you are scientifically minded. And I was asked this question once by a Stanford scientist. He asked me, he said, you believe in the Bible, right? And I said, I do. He said, do you believe in Noah's Ark? And I said, I do. And he said, let me ask you a question. What, what happened to all the poop with the animals on the Ark? And I said, it probably smelled a lot. I don't have the answer to that. But for this gentleman, what was interesting is because he couldn't get over that, he couldn't believe. Whether it be scientism whether it be physicalism, whether it be existentialism, there are other forces that sometimes hinder us from accepting the gospel. Let me say that's why there's a whole field of study called apologetics. Apologetics is not, I'm sorry, I'm really, really sorry, but rather it's a rational response to the truthfulness and credibility of the gospel. And there are books that I could refer you to. There are conversations I'd love to have with you. But all that to say there shouldn't be any hindrances to the gospel. And so a hard heart, in my opinion, is not justifiable. That if it's a rational, logical thing, that can be answered. Oftentimes, if I could comment on this, some of the reasons why people perhaps have a hard heart, especially towards God and maybe the church, is because in the past they've been hurt by people. I understand that. I've been hurt by people as well. But let me say it this way. We all have. And that's where Jesus comes into play. He's the one who forgives, and he's the one who restores. 
Let's look at the second heart, and it's called the shallow heart. Verses 5 and 6, this is what it says. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Let's go ahead and look at the counterpart now in verses 16 and 17. Here's what it says. Jesus explains about the the rocky ground. He says, And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. In this particular response, the shallow heart would say something like, oh, yeah, that that sounds good. I I believe that. I I can buy that. But we see that one of the things that happens in, in the metaphor here, there's no root. And when there's no root, there's no nourishment that comes which the root draws from the ground. And because of that, the plant can't survive. As a result, we see that when the sun scorches it, it withers away. And Jesus comments, when tribulation or persecution comes, when the heat is figuratively turned up, they fall away. In this, my observation of the shallow heart is this, a quick response, but no depth slash growth caused a falling away due to any kind of negative trigger. And again, I've seen this many times. When something negative happens, a loved one gets sick or passes away. An unexplainable accident happens. Someone diagnosed with a terminal disease. Oftentimes, a person with a shallow heart will be quick to blame God. God gets blamed for a lot of things that are not justifiable. And yet, we fail to realize that we as humans are free agents. And because of that, much of what happens is due to our being causal agents to it not God. God gives us a freedom of sorts. Also, with the backdrop knowing this, that this world is infected by sin. Sin is the reason that things happen in this world. It's why disease occurs. It's why crimes occur. It's why earthquakes occur. It's why people die. Sin is the unfortunate epidemic that affects all people. Good people, and bad people. It's not selective. And yet, God always seems to take the blame for these things. The shallow heart has a quick response, but as quickly as it responds, it fades away. And again, it's because no root has taken place. Let's go to a third response. It's called the worried heart. In verse 7, it says this, Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, And it yielded no grain. And then the response in verses 18 and 19 says this, And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. In one translation, verse 19, instead of saying the cares of the world, it says the worries of the world. And it's interesting, the deceitfulness of riches. In college, I was part of Campus Crusade, or what's now called Crew. It was a great ministry. I learned how to share my faith with the four spiritual laws. 
we had a weekly meeting. And in that meeting, there was a guy that I looked up to. His name was John. John was a, a vibrant believer. He had a ministry with the frat system where he would go into fraternities and he would boldly share the gospel. And this was a cool guy. He was tall. He was probably like 6'4". He was buff. He was good looking. And he was smart. He was winsome. This guy was crazy good looking and awesome, right? And everything he said was just so solid. After we graduated from college, I saw him years later. And I ran into him, of all places, in a desert on the side of a road. I was happy to see him. I said, John, how are you? His response was not so excited. He said, hey, Ben, how are you? I said, John, what are you doing now? And he said, well, I was a finance broker guy. This is 2008. And then I lost everything. He lost his money. He lost his wife. He lost his home. He had a backpack and he was traveling. And I said, John, what happened? And he looked at me and he said, I loved money too much. The deceitfulness of riches. Here's a guy who I looked up to, was a solid Bible study leader. He had everything going for him. And he had cashed in his life for the deceitfulness of riches. A worried heart. Here's my comment on that. It's another quick response. But it's easily swayed by the negative influences of the world due to a lack of a Christian worldview and conviction. What is conviction? My old college pastor used to say it this way. A belief is something that you hold, whereas a conviction is something that holds you. Are you convicted, folks, this morning, about Jesus Christ being the only way, the truth, and the life? Are you convicted that the Bible is the Word of God? It's life-giving to us. It moves us. It transforms us. It leads us towards God and the path of righteousness and nowhere else. And are you committed and convicted that you are truly in the faith because you have trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord? We all go through storms of life. We all have hardships. We all go through unfortunate things. We explained that earlier. That's because of sin. It's pandemic everywhere. But I say to you, this is where holding on to Jesus, who is our anchor, will get us through those hard times. Let me be vulnerable with you for a while. I've never doubted my call as a pastor or a person in ministry, except for once in my life. This is a sad story, so if you want to pull out the Kleenex, you can do it. So I liked this girl back in college, actually post-college, okay? And we were going to go to a Halloween party together. I was, uh, I was probably 25, and uh, I was serving as a youth pastor at a church, probably like maybe two years into the ministry. And um, long story short, I called her up and I said, when are we meeting? And I found out she was already at a party with another guy. And I was like, oh. And she said, I said, why are you, I said, why are you doing this to me? And she said, because you're going to be a pastor. I remember my, one of my close friends, he was our children's pastor at the time. His name was David. I went to David's house, and I said, David, 
I don't know if I could hack this ministry stuff anymore. No one will date me. They won't even go to a party with me. You know what David said to me? He said two things. He said, God is good. I didn't want to hear that. Come on. God is good. Not right now. But he said, your calling will confirm you. He said, Ben, you are called to be a pastor. He said, I have no doubt. This is two years into my ministry. So this is 28 years ago. And I thought, wow. I doubted for a split second. But when I centered myself and I got back on track, I realized, you know, God has my back. Here I am, years later, no doubt. Do you have that kind of anchor? A solid assurance that God has your back. He will be there for you. You don't have to have a worried heart. It's all deceit. Things will, that will choke things out in your life and will be unfruitful. Well, those first three responses are all failed responses. Let's go to the success now, the fruitful heart. Verses 8 and also verse 20. Here's what it says. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. Verse 20, but those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. Look at that verse again. There's a sequence. They hear the word, they accept it, and they bear fruit. A good, fruitful, and sustained response that is rooted deeply with faith and trust. Let me repeat that. This is a good, fruitful, and sustained response that is rooted deeply with faith and trust. The statement 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold was a well-known statement of the day that was agricultural, that's saying that it was producing quite a bit of fruit, and it was continuing to be fruitful and to multiply in such an incredible exponential way that people are like, wow, by this. Now, I don't think this will always be what you're going to be feeling. It will not necessarily be all that you're going to be demonstrating. But there will be more opportunities, more times of this for the show than times of unfruitfulness. And this is where spiritual growth is important. That the response that you hear to the gospel is that you hear it, you accept it, and you bear fruit. Now, a little bit more on explanation of this, as well as now why Jesus spoke in the means of a parable. Let's go to number two, a reaction to the responses. Right in the middle, there's an interesting part where Jesus is going to explain that there are some who will respond well when it is revealed, but there will be others who will not be able to hear it because for them it is concealed. Let me explain to you what that means. Let me begin with verse 9. He says this, And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now let me stop right there about that. That's really interesting. That's a parabolic tagline that whenever you see that, you could probably be assured that Jesus is using a parable to explain things. 
Now, what does it mean that he who has ears to hear, let him hear? Well, it means simply this, that everyone obviously has ears. They can hear it, but not all will understand it. So let me make a nuanced difference. I'm going to split hairs. You can hear something, but not necessarily listen to it, meaning follow through with it. And that's why Jesus taught in parables. Well, we're like, wait, what, what are you talking about? Well, let's keep going, okay? Let's look at now the why. Verse 9. Why is it that some people can hear it and why some people can't hear it? And I answer it depends on your willingness to respond. Now, willingness, otherwise known as volition, that's something that you can do. You can choose to will something or to not will something. I'm not a huge advocate of vegetables, but I understand its nutritional value, and so I will myself to have it with a little coercion from my dear wife and others. And so as a result, I will be able to respond to it. And I want to suggest to you that that can also be true spiritually. That a lot of times there's not an intellectual blockage towards the gospel. Rather, it's a willingness or slash unwillingness to respond to the gospel. Whether you say there are hypocrites, whether you say you had a, a relative who was a pastor who didn't seem qualified, whether you see evil in the world, you can look at this and that's your perception and then you say, I can't believe in God. But let me say this, the, the ways of God are not the ways of man. Meaning he does things that are sometimes beyond our scope, yet if you think about it a little bit, it makes sense. Thomas Aquinas, a philosopher, ancient philosopher, medieval, he also proved something called the invisibility of God. Let me explain it to you real quickly. So here's the question, why is God invisible? And the answer, according to Aquinas, is so that you would look for him. You're like, wait a sec, how can I look for something invisible? Many years ago, uh, when my boys were playing soccer, they still play soccer, we went to a soccer practice in the evening. It was Adam's soccer practice. And um, it was me, my dad, Zach, Adam. It was a shindig, okay? And um, what happened was we were out on the field. It was the evening Adam was playing. I was talking to my dad. And Zach was bored, so he said, Dad, can I use your, your iPhone? I said, sure. So the f practice finishes. And then we get back in the car, and I said to my son, Zach, Zach, let me have my iPhone. And he looks at me, and I look back, and he just goes, and I said, Zach, what does this mean? He goes, I don't have the iPhone. I said, but I gave it to you. Where is it? He goes, I don't know. He was like maybe four years old, something like that, right? Big mistake on my part. And so my dad, who's very calm and cognitive, he says, Ben, just, just call it, and we can find it. I said, good answer if, number one, it wasn't on silent, which it was, and number two, if the battery wasn't almost out, which I'm pretty sure it was. So we call it, no response. It's getting dark now. We're on this soccer field, so all four shins get out, and we're looking for it. Why? Because we couldn't see it. Where is this phone? 
fortunately, there was a female soccer team that was out there finishing up their practice. And I said, ladies, ladies, could you help us? We lost an iPhone on the ground. And there was probably like 15 of them. So I said, can we line up in a long line, straight line? And can we walk together and comb the ground? And they agreed. And boom, one of the gals found it. Why did we look for this iPhone? Because we could not see it. How counterintuitive is that? Why does Jesus speak in parables? So that it would pique the interest of those people who really wanted to know the message. That's why. And so he spoke in parables to do this. But, here it is, here's the point. Everyone can hear the gospel, but not everyone will want to listen to it, i.e. the fruitful heart. In other words, it won't elicit a response. It's interesting, and you probably have heard this, people can go to church for years and still not be a follower of Jesus. Again, let me be clear, just going to church doesn't make you a believer. It's a personal relationship, it's one-on-one that allows you to enter into this thing called the Christian life. So how do we do that? Well, let's go back to the verse. In verses 11 and 12, this is quite interesting because Jesus now explains the intent of it being concealed. Here's what he says in verse 11. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. He's talking to his disciples. But to those outside, everything is in parables, meaning they don't hear it. So that, and he quotes in verse 12, You may indeed see, but not perceive. May indeed hear, but not understand. Lest they should turn and be forgiven. Listen carefully. The reason that people don't believe is not because the gospel isn't clear or understandable. It's not concealed. It's because people in their hearts are unwilling to yield. So how do you turn that around? Well, here's the the how. Verse 12. When they allow the Holy Spirit to convict and change them. That's the bottom line. See, God, through his spirit, enters into your life. Once you have trusted Jesus as the Savior and the leader of your life, and then the Spirit of God comes into you, and then he changes you. And that's an important transformation that you yourself can't do, but that's why you need the work of the Spirit, the helper, to come into your life. So here's a key thought for you to think about. No matter what, There will always be some who respond and some who will not. For those who do, it is a big reveal. For those who do not respond, it is a huge conceal because their hearts are not open to follow. And if you remember what I said earlier, a lot of this depends on your willingness to respond. Another example, when my wife and I were dating my wife likes classical music. I, I like rock. And part of it was my aversion to my earlier elementary years. I played the violin for 11 years, Suzuki method, like every good Korean boy. It was horrible. Not more for me, more for my parents. But because of that, I had a strong aversion towards classical music. So then I meet my wife. We're dating, and she says, can we go to this classical 
musical, being at Caltech. And of course I said, yeah, sure. <laughs> Liar. I went and embarrassingly, I think I slept through the first four or five movements. But I had this quick ability to wake up as if I was attentive. And so my wife was like, how was that? Oh, hmm. <laughs> the more and more I listened to it, the more and more I actually appreciated it. Now, I've become that parent. Adam plays cello, as you know very well. Zachary attempts to play the violin, and uh, he's getting better. And I actually like classical music now. What happened? My wife will say it's her prayers, probably. It's because I opened my heart to this. You can too. Let's look at some application questions and we'll close with our central truth. Question number one. So where do you stand in terms of your response? Is it a reveal for you or is it still a conceal that you just like, I don't know about this. Please don't leave here without letting me try to answer some of your questions. It could be an intellectual question. I'll try to meet you. It could be philosophical. It could be something emotional that happened to you way a long time ago. Whatever it may be, let's have a conversation. We'd love to talk with you about this. And if we can't have it today, we'd love to make an appointment with you. As I mentioned, my summer is still pretty open. I'd love to meet up with you for breakfast, lunch, coffee, whatever would be convenient for you. Here's a second application question for you. Which type of heart best describes you? And I should have added the word now. The hard heart, shallow, worried, or fruitful? Which heart best describes you now? And the last question is this. What would it take for you to truly respond and follow Jesus as a savior and leader of your life? Remember to hear it, to accept it, and to bear fruit. My hope and prayer is if you come to NLVC's bridge, that you will hear the gospel, that Jesus saves, that he is the only way, and that you would have the word of God in your hands and in your heart, that you would not leave here without both of those. That is my prayer for you. Here's our central truth as we close. The gospel demands a response that demonstrates a willingness to love and obey Christ with growth and fruitfulness for the rest of your life. One more time. The gospel demands a response that demonstrates a willingness to love and obey Christ with growth and fruitfulness for the rest of your life. And we here at the bridge, we're here to help you to do that. So thank you for being here, and I pray that you will own this this morning. Let's close in prayer.